Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, the podcast with the best slogan. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. That slogan was created by Katie Steenerson. If you have an idea for a slogan, why don't you hit us up online at There It Is Pod on both Facebook and Twitter, and you can send that suggestion in. Thanks for listening. And thank you for following us on those social media accounts that I mentioned. I, Jason Farr, I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Farr Jokes, and Instagram, at Jason Farr Picks. Also, check out our website, thereitispod.com. You can read blogs, support the podcast, and listen to all of the episodes on the Nifty SoundCloud playlist. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Today's episode is a great one for people who do it all. You might do stand-up or improv or acting work, or you do all of the above, like myself. Whoever you are, whoever you are, you can get plenty of wisdom and encouragement from today's guest, Abby Crutchfield, because she does it all. Abby is an alum of UCB. She's been on UCB Comedy Originals, Broad City, MTV, VH1. You've seen her in national commercials like a direct TV commercial, and she co-hosts You Can Do Better on True TV. Abby also contributes to some e-cards and co-hosted a stand-up show here in Brooklyn. The point is... She does a lot, and she rocks it at all, so she's a really good person to learn from. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Abby Crutchfield. Where are you from? I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. And how long have you been in New York? I've been in New York, I guess, 12 years, because I moved here in 05, and it's 2017 now. So I moved here the summer of 05. I'm coming up on my anniversary. Nice. And were you, I want to, for some reason, think you were in Los Angeles at one point. Is that correct? I do work in L.A. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I just spent four months shooting a second half of the first season of You Can Do Better for True TV. So that was fun. We're going to have new episodes that air July 11th. Okay. And yeah, so I've, so I've been there. I've been, I've lived in Los Angeles for several months at a time, Mm -hmm. several times. (laughs) Okay, that must be what's coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I call it. I call it bicoastal. I don't own a residence there, but I'm there. (laughs) So you you've done a ton of stuff. Um, You just mentioned your hosting work. We've done some acting work. You've done stand up Mm -hmm. and improv as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where did all that start for you? Did were you in high school and college performing, or when did all that begin? The very first art form that I pursued professionally was stand-up, and the reason I did that was because right after I graduated from college, where I started a stand-up comedy club, mm-hmm. um, like an uh, extracurricular club, was uh, I did an open mic in Indianapolis at Crackers Comedy Club. Every Tuesday at 8, you could participate in the open mic, and since I had done it, on a very small scale in college, I thought I want to do it legitimately in front of strangers in my hometown. And so 
I, you know, your very first time at the mic is three minutes and then the next subsequent times are six minutes. And then you start to network with your fellow comedians and they produce shows throughout the city in different bars and restaurants. And so kind of like you do it in New York, we were just doing it in Indianapolis. And then after I saved up enough money for a year, I came out to New York and in Indiana at that time, I was also doing dinner theater and a little bit of modeling and some commercial acting on a local scale to Mm -hmm. kind of get my feet wet with anything entertainment and I almost I think I had just auditioned for a community theater play but and they cast me but then I had to leave and I had just gotten I joined an improv team in Indianapolis so I'm I've always been interested in trying to do as much as many different things as I could yeah very and then yeah and then stand-up was the first thing that I actually spent most of my time doing right now I've I have heard that Indianapolis has a really great kind of DIY scene I heard that a long time ago, so it sounds like it's... Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely has a, it has a, several great comedy clubs mm-hmm. and a ton of potential performers that want to grow in the art form. Right. And then there are also... It's got an audience that's used to live art and, and enjoys consuming live arts, which is a great recipe for it. I think the only thing it's missing is the ability to do it night after night, and right. a lot of towns are missing that, which is why you yeah. have to move to someplace like New York if you want to get better at it. True. Yeah, you got to be able to get up a couple times and multiple times a a, a week. Like you a week you re- for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the people who do it several times a night are just trying to work out a set for a late night show. I think. Oh yeah. Or escape their horrible apartment. But <laughs> but if you really want to grow, you really should be trying to do it multiple times a week. Because if you let a whole week go by between your attempts, it's too much time to get to psych yourself out and. Mm-hmm. To just like, you, or you haven't written anything, yeah. and you're like, or well, say, I can't. I'll go tomorrow. You say, yeah, well, you can't say, I, I'll tell those same jokes I told last week. You suddenly get tired of them. You're like, I can't tell the same thing I said last week, even though you should. Yeah. So I think if you're doing it every other night, then you're like, of course I can tell the same jokes. I just told them uh, two days ago, and now I got to try them on a new audience. So it just develops that muscle of like, I want to get up. I want to get up. Yeah, for sure. And that is something that upon moving here, I wanted a, a little bit of a, just getting my feet on solid ground before getting into the grind of uh, going <laughs> I, out a lot. But Yeah, um, I did too. Yeah, it, it, because, you know, it can be daunting just to move. You're, you're moving to a fast-paced place when you move to New York, so it's just a little mm-hmm. bit easier to, or maybe better, to just get your feet on solid ground before you start trying to run. Well, one thing it's important to do is to have some sort of a life, I think. And I've, I've known people who don't really have a place to stay, but they still hit up open mics or they don't have a job, you know, to kind of pay for stuff, but they still hit up mics. And I get that passion and that drive. But if you don't have like a balanced life where you can eat regular meals and know that you're paying your rent, mm-hmm. I think that it's going to ultimately impact you negatively. But I mm-hmm. i mean, I dragged my feet when I first got here. I think I waited 10 whole days because I was just afraid to leave the apartment I was subletting. Uh, I was so scared uh, of New York. I didn't know anybody. I met one girl out for some pizza party. Like I had pizza and then got on the train back home. And I was just afraid to, I remember there was a garbage, the way you got rid of garbage in my apartment that I was subletting was a community shoot that you had to walk down the hall to put the, and it would take me like all day to just leave my apartment and walk down the hall. Oh, Cause I was wow. just so afraid of, 
I don't know what I was afraid of running into somebody, <laughs> you know, I, I had seen, you know, what I, I seen big, you know, when Tom Hanks yes. becomes an, an adult at 13 and he has to stay in that really scary motel. There's all the and noises he, and he's, he hears yeah. gunshots and sirens. Yeah. I, felt no, like I had that. actually I mentioned like, that in a previous episode about the move. And I said, I thought before moving up here that I was wondering if I was going to be Tom Hanks in that scene, just curling up into a ball <laughs> and crying on the bed alone, <laughs> even though yeah. I'm with my girlfriend. But I just thought <laughs> when she wasn't here that I would just like crawl, <laughs> I would curl up right. and cry. Thankfully, that didn't be. happen. <laughs> well, yeah, I came out here a couple of weeks before my then boyfriend and current husband, Luke, was. And, and when he got here, he was like, let's hit up the mics. What are you waiting for? So mm. the fact that I had him with me was made it easier for me. But just the fact that the second he arrived, he wanted to do it was like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't drag yeah, my feet. <laughs> right. For sure. There's yeah, no need. It's uh, one of the things, too, that you mentioned about having uh, just a regular life is when you have stress because maybe you're not paying rent or you just haven't figured out what life is going to be like, just home life is going to be like for you. Mm -hmm. That can be so stressful that it actually gets in the way of creating, I think. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, being able to focus on what I need to be able to focus on to make sure that I uh, do the best I can when I'm going to write material or perform it's such a right. distraction in the back of your brain to have that, yeah. like, oh, no, what's happening in my life? And there's people who have no choice but to live hand-to-mouth. But if you're living hand-to-mouth by choice because you're like, I've got to focus on the art, your material is going to be super unrelatable because you're going to be just <laughs> talking about really depressive things. Yeah. <laughs> but but because that's your existence and that's all you know. And mm-hmm. people are going to be like, ooh, <laughs> we need help. So, so, yeah, I think it's okay to have some balance. It brings more to your material. Definitely what you said, it, it like it doesn't impede creativity to be at peace right when you were in the scene in indianapolis uh, when you were Mm -hmm. doing improv what was the theater you were at that was a community that was a group called indieprov and i believe it still exists it's been going on for you know well over a decade and i had only auditioned and been accepted and then left the following week so i didn't Mm. do a lot with them but Mm -hmm. i had attended some of their shows and then some members of that group I did dinner theater with, and that's how I had found out about the group. Oh, okay. So with dinner theater, there's an element of improv- improvisation. One, if you forget your lines. Mm-hmm. But two, if it's not time to do the script yet and you have to kind of interact with the people that are eating or that are in line to get into the restaurant before they eat. Mm-hmm. So that was scary, but it was like super fun because I was in a costume and I, right. and I had an accent I already adopted. So it was kind of just like Halloween where you oh, want cool. people to look at you and laugh. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot more different than when I learned uh, or trained at UCB Mm -hmm. or took classes at the pit, like how it's, oh yeah, this is about a group effort and listening and agreement and, you know, not just (laughs) relying on yourself to be the funniest person in the world. Yeah. That was actually the next question I was going to ask is once you started going out and and performing and, or just leaving the apartment in New York, where did you end up? So you took classes at UCB in the pit. I did, let me see, I think I did that the following year. So I didn't do that until maybe 06. So okay. for so for the summer of 05 to the end of the year, I was just doing mics. I was hitting up like um, New York Comedy Club had one that Aaron Haber ran. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, like Mickey's Blue Room. And I'm not even sure. Some of these might have been shows, but a lot of them 
a comics was a comedy club that doesn't exist anymore. And down in Ochi's Lounge, there would be a mic mm-hmm. there. And and I don't know, like there's a ton of places that don't exist anymore. Oh man, and some places that still exist whose names I can't remember. There's something with tree in the name. Do you remember that one? Do you know that one? I don't know that one. I know ah. Knitting Factory. I don't know how long they've been around. And I know never Tipsy did Hustle. a mic at knitting. Okay, cool. No, I never did a mic at Knitting Factory. That's always been like you know this great show that's been run yeah. formerly by Hannibal Burris now by a ton of other people that are awesome. Will Miles, um, previous guest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I should I should definitely check it out. So anyway, all over, and it kind of shot... Oh, there was another place. Oh, and it's closed now, but what was that place called? Bowery, maybe... Not Bowery Poetry Club, but... Yeah, maybe it was that one. They had, like, an upstairs room. Mm-hmm. It was right on Alphabet City, right where UCB... Um, East is now like okay. just down the block from there and I used to love going there because I would see people like Carolyn Castilla, Baron Vaughn, Michelle Buteau, uh, Matthew McCarthy and um, these people are all you know they're now doing TV and stuff doing really yeah. cool things but uh, just to learn from them and to be among them and feel a little bit accepted by them even though I was majorly green was mm-hmm. just really encouraging and it was like these people are trying to get out of their studio apartments as well. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was a really encouraging time. And, and I met a lot of, yeah, the, my current peers now awesome. down at the open mics. What was your experience like with UCB in the pit once you started going there? What was there one that you went to more than the other or took more classes at? Well, yeah, I think I took more classes at UCB initially, um, from, study, I think just watching UCB, the show that Amy Poehler was in mm-hmm. and learning about the theater. I had, visited io west when i made a trip to chicago and had seen second city theater Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like i knew the history of improv um starting in canada and then wanted to learn about new york's improv scene Mm -hmm. and ucb was at the time this is like oh five i feel like snl was still pulling from talent from there i mean they were looking at groundlings too Mm -hmm. but uh and, and and mtv or whatever but it really was a good idea to take classes at UCB. Mm-hmm. And then through UCB, I learned about Ali Faranakian, who started The Pit, because, right. you know, he was originally um, collaborative with those uh, those founders of UCB. And mm-hmm. so before The Pit even moved to its current location, I had performed on stage there at their independently produced shows, but I hadn't taken classes there. Ah. And then I learned about the Magnet Theater, and I never took classes at the Magnet, but I would do, like, their open mic. And so I just kind of was trying to get in the scene and meet the people doing that the same way I had done with stand-up. Right. Like you go to the restaurants to meet the stand-ups and you would go to the theaters, the schools to meet the students. Right. And so, so my experiences were really positive. I mean, I think for UCB, I took like all the improv that you could take up that time. I think you can now take a little bit higher level, but I took all their improv. I auditioned for a Herald team before Mm -hmm. they even had Lloyd teams. I did not make it. Um, I auditioned for mod and got into a mod later in life, but just like, you know, that introductory level where you're just like trying to get better and they're like, take more classes, yeah. get to know the community better. And then I took all the sketch classes you could take with them. I even repeated one because I submitted to mod, write for mod and I didn't get accepted. So I was like, gotta take a sketch class again. Yeah. So, um, I think that it was just really great to like the value of that is the d- discipline of writing a ton. And mm-hmm. you know what the lesson was after every class was like, you should be continuing to write outside of class. You should be collaborating mm-hmm. with people and making your own web content if you want. And I never, I didn't quite follow through on that because I was putting so much time into stand-up, but I mm-hmm. definitely understood the value of that. Of like, yeah, if you're really yeah. self-motivated. And also maybe doing stand-up is another version of, of that. You know, like maybe it's 
uh, okay that you were doing that and not writing sketches because mm-hmm. you're still producing something that well, I think go both up on stage. For sure, yeah, you're you're and you're live performing on a nightly mm-hmm. basis, which is huge. And I think um, both stand up and UCB led to kind of knowing the people to recommend a commercial acting class, mm-hmm. excelling in an acting class, um, and then getting opportunities to be represented, and then auditioning and booking, auditioning, getting known, getting to know casting, all mm-hmm. of that, being able to think quickly on your feet and sell your own personality as well as memorize lines and be on or whatever. Like it all goes hand in hand. And so that's what that was when, what my next steps were. There was like commercial acting classes, getting representation, trying to book stuff, you know, and just and all the while just developing a web presence through Twitter and yeah. back in the day I, YouTube. Yeah, I think um, when I first came became aware of you was through some of your online stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, something still you know. I think a lot of people mostly you know me from online stuff until <laughs> like I, I've had like it's been 12 years that I've been in New York City and I've had very random ways that people could know me like I have my face on the AIDS walk banners for like three years straight oh, so wow. subconsciously people on the street would be like don't I know you and I'm like probably not but uh, <laughs> well then I and, saw you on the street and we hadn't met in person but I was just uh-huh. going to get on the R train and I saw you walk past and I said oh Abby hey you actually said I already reached out to you so it's right, like we yeah, connected just, through the internet just, before in person <laughs> right right well we so, were yeah. friends on Facebook for a while but then I emailed you the previous night and then just mm-hmm. happened to bump into you yeah that that worked out well yeah. so um so but you know I, I do this show this show called You Can Do Better now and I co-host right. it with a guy named Matthew and I've been you know, I was in a Soho department store and mm-hmm. the young lady that worked there recognized me from the show and was like, yeah, my brother and I watch you. So sometimes yeah. like through the years, people have recognized me through my work at College Humor, my work on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know that you could point to me and go, oh, yeah, you're that person from this thing pretty yeah. easily. I think it's, it's more like, like <laughs> you seem like somebody I've somewhere. seen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'll have take seen it. You. Yeah. Yeah. Probably mostly through commercials. So subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. When you are creating, when you're putting out your your work, what is it you are most wanting to do? I mean, are you you wanting to mostly be a stand-up or a host or acting? Like, what is your, or is it? I'm mostly wanting to be funny, funny and, um, and then have, yeah, funny. So to have people laugh, I think, no matter what <laughs> outlet I'm doing that through. Uh, right. And I like stand-up because you get to be autobiographically funny or mm-hmm. speak to your own perspective. Like, this is how I always feel. Matthew Sketch, you get to speak through other people's perspective, which is super fun, too. You can be someone completely different from yourself. Right. Um, same for acting on camera. And for hosting, you get to be kind of... Um, Depending on how regularly you appear, I worked um, on People Now, which is a morning news show that does celebrity coverage. So I could be with someone every morning, and, and there's that familiarity. So I wanted mm-hmm. to be likable, trustworthy. You know, there's that kind of um, thing that you're going for. And funny, too. Entertaining, because right. you got to wake up in the morning. Oh, so, yeah. So, yeah, whatever I do, as long as I'm doing it to the best of my ability and entertaining you at the same time by making you laugh, then, then I've nailed it. Yeah. You know, I am the same way. I'm doing stand up, I'm doing improv and I'm doing acting work. Like I wanna mm-hmm. I wanna do it all and I wanna be funny. It is kind mm-hmm. of hard sometimes to pinpoint the one. Improv isn't mm-hmm. a 
job goal. It's not a career path you can really take. It's something you can do because you enjoy it and it can lead to other stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's a different thing. But Well, I feel like with stand-up, too, you can keep it in your life um, right. even if it doesn't help you pay all of your bills i think that mm-hmm. you know you can become an, a teacher of improv you can become a road touring improviser mm-hmm. i mean improv lends itself to commercial work so much right. so so yeah not to disagree with you but i think that whatever art form you love the most i definitely think you can make it a part of your life forever oh Especially i in America. totally agree yeah i don't disagree with that. i don't think it's a disagreement i think it's uh saying you can do all of these things <laughs> there's no reason yeah. you can't yeah, the one thing is, I think it's great when you can concentrate. Like, if you know that you like one, you shouldn't feel pressure to have to do a bunch. But if you've got a mm-hmm. skill set that lends itself to all those, you should definitely, I think, try all those art forms. I couldn't agree more. There are a couple of kind of like hipster comics who always want to invoke Bill Hicks saying, if you make your money outside of stand-up, then you're a phony or <laughs> a hack or something. And it's like, well, Bill Hicks also passed away before the internet is what it is you know like mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. many things have been created since he said that well and even joan rivers was guest hosting the tonight show before he said that so it's like yeah. yes you can be versatile and do other things right. to make money well, steve I think, martin was yeah you know, he yeah was, exactly it's <laughs> probably the he best was in example films at the time yeah um and so yeah i think bill hicks was totally entitled to his opinion and he was also speaking during the comedy boom so there was a ton yeah. of people who were probably not qualified to be doing stand-up that were getting paid regularly to do mm-hmm. stand-up so mm-hmm. i think that he he was implying like you should have a passion for it and he that's, definitely yeah. did yeah and that's kind of how i feel i feel like no matter what you're doing you should do it with passion whether that's one thing or three things i think mm-hmm. no matter what you should be real about it and not phony and just doing it because they say to do it or or whatever mm-hmm. you have to really get something out of it and that takes actual concerted effort and and genuine passion for it mm-hmm. yeah i do kind of go back and forth on it with myself of like Maybe you should just drop everything except one thing so that you can become, you can master the one thing, be really great at it, um, instead of mediocre at a bunch of things. But I don't think of it as being mediocre at a bunch of things Mm -hmm. if your skill set lends itself to it and you're passionate about it. I mean, 10,000 hours in whatever you do is going to be the thing that, like, that experience is going to speak to your skill Mm -hmm. level, your Mm -hmm. mastery of it. Um, But yeah, like, there's one thing about feeling pressure, but there's another, you know, sometimes I just feel like, Maybe I would have XYZ milestone by now if I wouldn't diversify my interests so much. <laughs> but I like where I am. And, and if I really want to make XYZ my milestone, I know how to gun for it. You know, like you just right, yeah. focus on it. Yeah, you are doing like all you're doing so many things and you like doing all of them. So that to me is genuine. And that to mm-hmm. me is is the right thing for you to do. I think everyone has a different set of skills and there's some Mm -hmm. people who can't host a show and maybe they don't want to but they are really good at stand-up okay we'll Mm -hmm. just do stand-up that's Mm -hmm. fine too (laughs) yeah we can coexist really cool exactly (laughs) i think it's i think it's nice if you have something that you take to and that like if people are like man that guy sucks at acting but he's really a killer (laughs) stand-up i think that's great you know it's like wow he's got a gift and it's a very obvious gift instead of just Ah, oh, he's a virtuoso. He's good at anything he touches. You know, that's a little less impressive. I think I think mm-hmm. psychologically it's cool, but to me, when someone's worked so hard on one thing and 
and that's their craft and they've honed it. I, I just really admire that, especially when Me it's too. stand-up because that's one of my favorite art forms, if not the yeah. favorite art form. Yeah. And when it comes to stand-up versus improv, which is a discussion I hate, but so many stand-ups <laughs> love... <laughs> I hate the discussion, but honestly, I keep hearing stand-ups just try to knock improv. It's just like not a valid form. And to me that joke that stand-ups are making has gotten really hack and it's just a played out joke so i've never just, even heard that it's funny just, that that's a I thing you've heard it. over and over maybe that's i've heard improvisers say oh i can't really do anything with improv really but it's like hmm. you but 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 the the moment itself like for example i have i've been known to say that improv does not always lend itself to on camera like mm -hmm. like when you try to watch an improvised show versus seeing it live there's something so magical about seeing it live but i say the same thing about ballet i hate watching the nutcracker <laughs> on film because the director is choosing what you need to look at instead of you getting to look at a million things so mm -hmm. that's the magic of improv is like there's so much going on and it's so organic and you don't know when it's going to pop up that it's so much more fun and it surprises you in great ways, the same way stand-up surprises you. So obviously there are apples and oranges, but right. there's there's like two different really cool magic tricks going on. Like with stand-up, I planned everything I want to say, mm -hmm. but you don't you suddenly as an audience fall into just listening to it like, Wow, how did you yeah. think of that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I really like both. Stand up is a thing that I I mean, that was probably the first thing I wanted to be when it came to comedy. When, mm. I, when I actually started focusing on comedy as a little kid, it was a stand-up mm -hmm. I wanted to be. I didn't even know improv was a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? well, we had exposure to stand-up. Did you watch it on TV, or yeah. how did you see stand-up? I was seeing did a you lot have of albums? it. Yeah, in the 80s, it was because of Bill Cosby himself. I mm -hmm. was too young to see Raw. I didn't, mm -hmm. get a, I didn't get a chance to see it until I was a little bit older. Uh, mm -hmm. And then in the 90s and late 80s, really, uh, I started seeing the network that existed before Comedy Central. And then there were like two different networks mm -hmm. and uh, they merged and became Comedy Central, I believe. But mm. on that network, uh, they were just showing a bunch of clips of people doing stand up at different big yes. name rooms in Los Angeles and New York. And I, mm -hmm. I just binged watched though show i would just they were just on constantly and the great thing about that was they would show you the name and like the mm -hmm. the venue and the year and the corner like a music video like a yeah. little white white lettering <laughs> would really pop up and like, fade away yeah it was like so music you could, television yeah for, so you could learn you'd be like oh who's that oh sandra bernhardt got it you know yeah um, that was when i, I first got into mark maron was it was because of that same you know yeah, yeah i think that was so. my very first exposure to him too and i just am remembering now like the earliest performance um, of comedy I saw on television was three things because we had HBO. It was Bette Midler um, in Beaches, which is like she did that play in Beaches <laughs> or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and so it was her performing live within that film. It was Whoopi Goldberg's Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And it was Gilda Radner. Somehow they aired her thing on Broadway. And none of that really is stand-up, but all of that seemed to me... What embodied what stand the magic of what stand up should be, you know, like right. this live audience laughing at you in a in a theater or in a setting where you're on stage, and and it didn't make me want to go into Broadway. It made me want to do stand up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Of course, like Seinfeld. Once Seinfeld was a TV show, I was watching that constantly, and I love Gary Shandling too. Um, mm -hmm. So it was just kind of just stand up for so long, and it's uh, they are stand up and improv are just so different, and I. 
as someone who does both, I would get asked a lot which one I like the most, and it's just kind of like saying what I like more: sleeping or uh, jogging or eating. You know, it's kinda, <laughs> <laughs> it's like both things sleeping. are things I need to do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, what about um, I guess sleeping what and do you eating feel... is probably the better. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Sleeping and jogging. Um, <laughs> jogging is the worst. Yeah, I actually that's do jog. I, <laughs> um, I was going to say, what one do you feel more comfortable doing and which one is more of a challenge, if any? Are they both Ooh. equally nerve-wracking to you? They present equal challenges but completely different ones for me just because with improv, I'm trying to be very real and in the moment and present as an actor Mm-hmm. And as a stand-up, it's having that really good pace, but also uh, great stage presence, but also uh, a laid-back kind of aspect. There's something about stand-ups that they're not rushing. It's kind of mm-hmm. like uh, it's that movie with Miles Teller, the uh, jazz movie. Like a, yeah, yeah, with yeah, J.K. Yeah, uh, Simmons, right, yeah. the drum uh, beat. I forget what it's called. <laughs> It's, Backbeat. It's, <laughs> it's neither of those. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Drumline was Nick Cannon. Um, ah, yes. But, yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I love the movie. I don't remember why. It's uh, a great I movie. I can't remember the name, but I swear um, the title has something to do with drums. Symbols. Um, but yeah, well, he was a drummer, and so he was saying, like, "Am I rushing or am I?" Uh, uh, you know, the famous line that I also am forgetting. Um, Lag, lagging, maybe lagging or rushing. <laughs> Uh, but it was just that idea, just like <laughs> <laughs> it's just. That, I'm getting really hung up on the details. Sorry, I know. but yeah, you, and it's, I can't a, it's a balance why I brain in between. There's this balance of like stand-ups aren't rushing on stage. They're not. They're not. Uh, because uh, I I was just listening to myself and I was like, gosh, I was really rushing, telling mm-hmm. that joke, mm-hmm. in order to fake having rhythm. I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's like, funny is when you get ahead of the audience, like it's such a good feeling because most of the time for me, when I was early in uh, trying to make sure I remember what I wanted to say, mm-hmm. you the audience gets ahead of you. They laugh and then you have to reset your brain and go, okay, what else or what's next, you know, <laughs> or you look at your notes. Now, the best part is when you know exactly what you want to say, you know when the laugh's going to come and mm-hmm. you're just waiting for the laugh to be over so that you could start your next line then you're ahead of the curve and that's a great yeah. feeling yes and i was just watching just some great whiplash that's the name of the movie whiplash that has nothing to do with drums why did i no. think it was anyway um yeah i don't know it kind of sounds like splash which maybe uh it, yeah or people whip. splash on the symbols they do <laughs> Whiplash. Okay, we made it make sense. We finally got there. That, and I still can't remember the quote. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Am I rushing or am I dragging? I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, There are just some good Mm. stand-ups that I've seen who were killing it, and they they had a pace. There weren't pauses, really. Like there were. Mm but it didn't feel like it. It felt like this constant movement, but yet they weren't going real fast. They weren't rushing. They weren't speeding. They weren't talking real speedy or anything like that, but they had this sort of constant pace and rhythm that was so on time. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get better at. That's the thing that I want to get uh, good at. And that's the big challenge for me right now as a stand-up is uh, Mm -hmm. um, trying to 
trying to find that balance of uh, mm-hmm. of not speaking too slow, not taking too much time, being on rhythm, but also not talking too fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, I think um, trusting the silence is a big thing that is hard for people to learn early on, too, of just like when their laugh isn't there or when you're still making your point not to fill that with words or or crowd work or something because you're nervous but just to stay on track and you see that with a lot of seasoned performers is there will be pauses and there will be period mo- minutes they mm-hmm. go by without you laughing but it's net you, you're never the audience is never uncomfortable and it's because right. the comedian's never uncomfortable right you're just it's, listening they're, right they're always in control mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. that's the thing is when a comic feels like they are when a comic is in control then the audience feels real comfortable, like you were saying, because you know mm-hmm. they, the comic is just up there doing their thing, and every moment is being wielded by by that stand up on stage. And you're mm-hmm. right, the times where it's when a show's not going well for the audience, uh, it is when the stand up is not in control of what's mm-hmm. of themselves and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Probably the worst stand up set I've seen was where someone was just like totally taken off by the audience reaction so he just started pacing the stage and just kind of like doing whatever and uh he wasn't in control and so the audience just totally lost <laughs> yeah the mojo had, they he, were having. he might have had a ton of nervous energy or he got distracted and the audience can get distracted right one of the worst things i've seen was a girl telling a story and then she nervous laughed herself into crying on stage and it was just like the whole audience seized up and we were just like oh wow whoa whoa, this is a tough story like she just hadn't worked out the material yet and it was about something very personal like abuse Mm. or something that she had experienced and and i've even cried on stage that's like the biggest bomb i've ever had uh locally in new york early on was just like I'm bombing so bad. This is so bad. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. And then I just started crying. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I took myself off stage. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. This is horrible. Sorry. Mm. Um, How do you bounce back so, yeah. from that? Oh, my gosh. Well, you just try to get on stage again and because the next <laughs> the next time will not be like that. Right. Um, whatever it was, I got I got way into my head. And, and yeah, it's, it was funny because I was um, – I'll tell you exactly why I got into my head. I was going to do my first feat, no, first feature performance in a while. Like I had done mm-hmm. some featuring when I was a year in, but now fast forward to like maybe three years in, I got another feature gig and I hadn't had one in forever. And I was like, oh man, this is the big time. So instead of doing a 10 minute set, I asked to do a 20 minute set and they let mm-hmm. me. And then I, six minutes in was like, I forget the joke. And I thought, I can't forget this joke on stage when I'm getting my doing my paid gig. They're gonna, you know, kill me. Yeah. And then I just thought, oh, I'm gonna fail. And so I just couldn't. I couldn't calm down. I wouldn't let myself remember whatever joke I wanted to tell next. And and then I just, you know, I just started to cry. And I was like, sorry. And I sat down. And then the guy after me goes, I don't know what you're gonna do in Florida, but uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, good note, good note. <laughs> and the good news is I didn't. You know, I just, yeah. you have to not be in your head or it's yeah. just going to be a disaster. That's absolutely right. I, the thing that I recently came to realize was that what really makes a show go well is when you approach it just as, just have fun. Which I, I've heard a ton of comics say, and they've told said it to me, and I've heard it since my first year doing stand-up, but... 
mm-hmm. it's not something that really sunk in until recently and mm-hmm. it's because I started getting in my head too often or worrying too much about this or that and so mm-hmm. now I am realizing just the benefit of saying you know what don't worry about how this is going to go because you can make it go well by just having fun you're going up on mm-hmm. stage to have fun and just have fun and it works yeah and what it feels like when you're having fun like when there is no pressure is you're not judging yourself right you're you're in a good mood you're there to have a good time because like for years i didn't know what have fun even meant because i was so in my head i was just so anxious about like wanting everything to go right like do i know my lines did i write jokes today yes do i know have i memorized it yes okay uh, how's the person before me doing, which is not something you're supposed to fixate on. Like, is the audience good? You know, like, so there'd be all these little things in the checklist that if any of those things went wrong, I would be like, oh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> and, and already that's not fun. There's nothing fun about that. <laughs> no. So I think I say, don't, don't give yourself a laundry list of things that need to go right. You came to do some jokes. You wrote the jokes, just try to do them as best as you can. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like you said, just not, the not caring part. I think it's it's almost um, counterintuitive to tell someone not to care because the whole reason they're doing it is for the attention of the audience and to <laughs> entertain them. Mm-hmm. So you're like, I want you to like this. I made this for you to like. But it's kind of like if you bake something for somebody and you don't even know if they're hungry or not, but you're oh, like, yeah. here, here's a cookie I made. <laughs> I had a good time making it. I've tasted it before. It's great. And I hope you enjoy it. And then you walk away and you don't need them to like like the cookie right. or not. Right. It's the act of it's the act of like giving it to them. So so yeah, that's the that's the sense I can make of it today that I couldn't early on because I was just like have fun. That's like saying have fun with someone who has a gun to your head. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have fun. Right. So that's a good point. You're yeah, just yeah. Yeah. How much stand up are you doing right now? You you doing a lot of dates or? I've got um, no. The last when I finished wrapping the show. I did a little bit in LA, like tiny bit, uh, mm-hmm. because I was so exhausted. We had really long work days. Um, but when I got back home, I did a nine city tour with three f- good friends um, called the Cake Comedy Tour, because mm-hmm. Cake was our uh, anagram of our first initials. Mm-hmm. So, Carrie Gravenson, me, Abby Crutchfield, Caitlin Bailey, and Aaron Judge all went out and we did um, like Philly and Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Nashville, Asheville, Raleigh, Atlanta. Oh, it was cool. super fun. And then and, and we were doing 20 to 30 minute sets on the road. Now back to New York, I'm back doing the shorter sets, but I've performed at my weekly show that I produce called The Living Room Show at Postmark Cafe, but I haven't gotten back into the clubs or mm-hmm. even hit found out what cool new hot shows are happening. I talked to like one of the bookers at Knitting Factory, but I haven't gotten into it um, because I've just been auditioning and right. Uh, writing at night. So I want to get back into it for sure. Mm-hmm. Like back into the scene. I want to meet all the new 20 somethings that are undoubtedly <laughs> fulfilling the <laughs> stages. Because <laughs> uh, it's been a while. Like it's been a, it's been like, I don't know. I never go months without doing it, but it's not good to not, to not do it every week. And right. I have not been doing it every week for a year or so. So, oh, uh, yeah. Well, you, yeah. And you are doing a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm filling my time with other creative mm-hmm. endeavors and, you know, getting paid by other people to be other places. So mm-hmm. the stand-up that you don't get paid at in New York City is for you to do to grow on your own right. time. So, right. So, when you're yeah. writing at night, are you writing stand-up material or is it for your show or 
Is it everything? Well, I contribute to some e-cards. So some of the writing goes towards that. I I write jokes on Twitter all the time to kind of flesh out topical current events. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, and then I've been writing sketches past week. I worked on Old School Sketch Show, which is kind of um, this intensive week-long thing that you can, a show you can put on at the pit. Cool. And so been writing sketch. I've been writing show ideas um, just to pitch, you know, like, if if I were to have my own show, what would it be like? You know, just for fun, like creative writing. You know, mm-hmm. what, if Sky was the limit and a network right now wanted to hand you the keys to a brand new show, what would it be? So just kind of doing that kind of thing to to get the stand up to start to flow. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, then when it comes time to do a show, I review whatever I've got in my notebooks of like, oh, this concept was cool. Oh, this worked well on Twitter. And then just try to flesh out new material based on that. What is your show on True TV about? You Can Do Better is a comedy advice show for adults on stuff that they already do in their adult life that they could be improved upon, you know, Mm -hmm. that nobody nobody gave them a manual on it. For example, our first episode was drinking. Mm -hmm. You go out, you drink every weekend, or you drink a happy hour, and you think you know what you're doing, but are you ordering your favorite drink every time? Do you even know what your favorite drink is? Do you know how to order? Are you taking up time at the bar? (laughs) Are are you making things awkward (laughs) with how you tip? So just like... um, What's the best drink for a first date? You know, how do you impress oh. someone with your drink order? And and we're kind of, me, Matthew Lackowitz and I are there to guide the audience through ways that they maybe didn't even think of. And we do that through expert interviews, man on the street interviews, sketch, comedy, um, how to's, like little life hacks, little like mm-hmm. direct to camera, uh, step one, two, three kind of things. And it's a really fast paced, fun brain candy show that um, has been airing. I believe after Adam Ruins Everything, but this summer it's going to air right before Adam Ruins Everything. Mm-hmm. So it's been great to kind of like reach his audience too. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. And that show is also doing well. Uh, yeah, Adam I love everything, that show. Lot, yeah. Now, I learn a lot from that show actually. Yeah, like, we, yeah, our, our show is supposed to be like, we're helping you learn, but honestly I feel like Adam's show is like, makes me want to write stuff down like, oh really? I'm going to Google that later. <laughs> That's so, great. It's cute. How did you get that gig? Was that something you developed, or was that something you auditioned for? It's well, the it's produced by Redtail Media, and mm-hmm. someone from Redtail reached out to me, and I don't know how he found me. He may have told me at the time. Could be through the work I've done through the internet. Mm-hmm. Could be um, like clips, or it could be word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in a lot of casting rolodexes just from auditioning through the years, so mm-hmm. it could be that. Like they say, hey, we're looking for a host type who's this age range and this race and this style personality. Can you recommend someone? Um, or they might have randomly seen me and said, oh, she'd be a good fit to balance out with Matthew. So they definitely had Matthew in place because Matthew's book is what they based their show concept on. Okay. And and then um, I think the network greenlit, like they saw my screen test and was like, yeah, she'd be great. So that's how I got the job. Very cool. And congrats. Yeah. Thank very you. late congratulations. <laughs> it was a Skype interview just like the one you and I are having. Yeah. Well, you got the job. And <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna air our episode after all? <laughs> Great. Well, I would also like to know what you are doing uh, with improv right now. Are you doing any improv? Are you uh, working at any of the, the schools? Here? Let me let me think if there's any way I'm doing improv. The only improv I do is during commercial auditions at this point every okay. most every audition now goes feel free to improvise a little and that's very limited it's not with a team and we don't take suggestions so <laughs> it's um but i did improvise with 
nobody's token a few years back. We spent a year together and we got to do a college together. And now a lot of those members are on astronomy club, which is a really popular UCB, um, troop. So, so yeah, I, I'm in touch with a lot of fellow improvisers. I love UCB. I roll through there a lot. Same with Pitt. Like I just performed an old school sketch show at the Pitt and I do a lot of stand up and sketch at UCB when, you know, on independently produced shows. So, um, I was just on the George Lucas talk show only. I played myself. So, um, so yeah, like I, I try to stay live performing weekly in whatever realm I do, but it's not the same grind that I needed it to be when I was temping and had to do stand up at night to just get more stage time. You know, like you got to build your act just to get stage time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, improv, I love. I still love to watch it. The Del Close Marathon, did that end already? I know it's happening. That just started, I think. Okay, it's happening right now. Yeah, it's happening now. Are you in Um, it? No. Not in a place where I would have gotten in on uh, any of the shows going on. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like I barely count as part of the improv community, except I know a lot of the people and have done it a bit in the past. Um, And I admire and respect the community. Yeah. But... Um, I think the last UCB show, I got to do the monologue at ASCAT, and then they oh, improvised cool. around it. So right. I, there was one point where they all looked at me. Like, there's times where the monologist comes out and tells a story. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I think I did it once, and then I didn't know I had to do it again or something. So they all looked at me, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to improvise with them now. And <laughs> I got super nervous. So I kind of did that thing when you're like early to improv and you're just like looking at each other uh-huh. and they all stepped backwards so that I could get center stage. And I'm like, Oh good. It's time for the monologue again. So it was just a split second, but I was like, Oh my gosh, do I have to improvise? <laughs> woo. Um, but definitely should be doing some, um, in addition to your classes, you take the open mic jams are super fun. They're like if great. it's great, the pit yeah, has I, a great one and magnet has a great one. And we've done both of those. I, I know that UCB does one. We haven't had a chance to get there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the, I know that UCBs is led by a house team and then mm-hmm. they let other people step on stage. I don't know how the magnet or pit do it, but, but it's, yeah, it's a great way to get to know the people in the community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are like-minded and that want to collaborate. Yeah. Um, and there was a fun show at the Creek in the Cave, which is a very popular venue for both, for maybe mo- mostly stand-up, but also for mm-hmm. improv. And there was a fun little jam there where someone is named a captain and they just pick a few people. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they go up on like a Monday night and do improv together. And they have, cool. you know, they maybe haven't played together before, but it... So it has this sort of like jam feel to it. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that makes me love New York that you can have that many different kind of creative random sh- shows. Like yeah. even though it's it's work for you and it's training for you, for the mm-hmm. audience, it's something entertaining to watch. So I think yeah. it's really cool. There is so much going on. People do have a lot of fun stuff that they can uh, check out. And you're mm-hmm. in a lot of that stuff. So that's very neat. Yeah, I'm trying to stay in that stuff. And hopefully, you know, the next step in addition to like collaborating with people you like to collaborate with is like provide opportunities for people um, yeah. on you. You can do better. When I was out in L.A., I could reach out to my friends that I knew from New York who had since moved to L.A. and get some of them on the show. So. So, yeah, you definitely want to pay it forward and keep it on a community level because that's why it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> so makes it entertaining to you. <laughs> yep. So, well, this is, I think, a good place to transition to the end where we create something together. But uh, here's the idea I had. Um, (laughs) uh, Here's the idea I had 
for creating something together. Uh, you have the show. You can do better. I just mm-hmm. got here. I'm trying to do a few different things, but I feel like I can do better. Um, what are okay. the things I could do better when it comes to pursuing stand-up and improv and acting work here? I feel like you're a good person to give me that advice. Sure. Um, I would say, Jason, you're already killing it because you're doing the hardest part, which is just showing up. All right. That's like I as someone said 90 percent of it is just being there. And that's totally <laughs> yeah. true. Take it from somebody who like was afraid to leave her apartment for 10 days straight to take her trash out um, <laughs> because of the movie Big. OK, the, 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 the famous horror film Big. Um, so you can do better. Let me see. I, I honestly, I wish I knew what you were doing to even give you pointers. But I mean, the fact that you're doing it, I think, is all you really need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the rest is just putting in time. Um, I can tell you what not to do. Okay. Here are some don'ts. When you're at an open mic, don't leave immediately after your set. Yeah. Because it sends the message that you don't care about anybody else trying to do your their work. And they're going to psychologically think, well... Who cares about that kid? Right. So, so it's definitely, almost, it is that sort of like I didn't care about anybody. I just, <laughs> just here for me. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you might not think that highly of yourself, it definitely mm-hmm. sends a message that you do. Like yeah. I'm, yeah, the yeah. boss has left the building. <laughs> so, so you stay and you um, watch a little bit, and then while the second or third person after you is getting their applause, you quietly leave after you've thanked the host. <laughs> you know, so like a little bit of etiquette goes a long way. Um, with improv, a don't is, um, don't think that's what they always tell you. Um, just <laughs> you kind of listening super helps, uh, and, and eye contact is big cause you might miss something, um, by, by not, by, by listening without looking at them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so you hear the wrong thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, don't, don't think just have fun. And then, um, what's the next one? We did stand up for open mics. We did improv. Acting what else do you do? Maybe? Acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For, Oh, this is my favorite, uh, acting advice that I read is that the audition begins. There's two pieces. The audition begins when you enter the room, not mm-hmm. when you're on camera saying your name. So be friendly, be courteous, be comfortable, do whatever you have to do before you enter the room to be calm, like take a deep breath. Um, because nervous energy is very, very easy to read from mm-hmm. the casting director. And they are the first gatekeeper that's going to decide whether they send your tape along or not. So if they think they got something good from you and they enjoyed you, you know, ask them how their day's been if you want. Granted, you're the hundredth person to do that, but it mm-hmm. at least shows that you're a decent human being. Yeah. Um, and the next advice I love for auditioning is that you already have the part. Mm-hmm. You you just have it for that moment that you're auditioning for it. And then once it's over, you can forget about it completely. So don't audition with the hopes of, I really hope they give this to me so that I can get the money from this gig. <laughs> um, just be like, right now I am a pirate and this is my character and I get to play it. And, you know, imagine you've got the job because that's you embodying it to its fullest. And then mm-hmm. when it's over, be like, and now my job as a pirate is done forever <laughs> and walk away from it. So that if you get a call back, it's a pleasant surprise. And if you get the booking, it's like, oh, great. They agreed with me that I was the best person for this role. <laughs> Excellent. That's really great advice. And I should yeah, be writing every day. <laughs> um, writing every day super helps. I mean, around the clock, really, like whenever anything comes to you. Or you have two approaches. My approach was, since I'm always thinking and kind of like never stop talking, mm-hmm. something funny would come up and then I would write it down when it happened. Mm-hmm. But 
you can be watching Netflix days on end and just have times where you're not interacting with people except your mm-hmm. coworkers and then decide like, oh my gosh, I haven't written anything in a week. So having a disciplined time to write, when is the easiest time for you to write? For me, it's when I'm on the train somewhere. I always have to take the train to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's the time. I don't listen to podcasts. I get my notebook out and I write. Mm. Um, so either allow your, get in the habit. Both of them are habits. One is get in the habit of writing something when it's funny, because if you don't, you'll forget it later. Mm -hmm. And the other is give yourself the easiest time to regularly write. And for me, it was on the train. But for you, it could be while you're sitting on the toilet. It could be right before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And once you develop that habit, yeah, it'll you'll want to write. You won't be like, oh, time for homework. It's more like, yeah, I got this great idea. Oh, it's going to be so good. Awesome. Yeah, there it is. You're going to kill it, man, even more than you're already killing it. Thank you, Abby. I hope we get to work together. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, in the acting world, it's like we're all super connected. Same with stand-up if, I, if and when I get back on the scene. Yes. Well, thanks for being cool. on here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great day. She had a lot of good advice in there, especially for those of you who are doing it all. I liked her answer about how her focus when she's performing is on being funny, just entertaining people. I like that because I think it can get really easy to focus too much on whether or not you are using your technique correctly. Just focus on entertaining people and having fun. And yes, it's whiplash and the line is, was I rushing or was I dragging? The dumb things that I remember and the things I want to remember but can't. You can keep up with Abby and her endeavors all over the internet. Follow at Curly Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Look up at Abby Crutchfield on Facebook. Also look up at Living Room Show on Facebook. That's the stand-up show that she's a part of. Don't forget about us. Follow at There It Is Pod on Twitter and Facebook. At Jason Farr Jokes on Twitter. And at Jason Farr Picks on Instagram. That's today's episode. I hope you're entertained and inspired. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.